Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. Hello, and we continue going through the New Testament in the order in which the books were written. And as I brought up before we read Hebrews or 1 Peter, the like was, there were a bunch of them written at this same time in different places by different people, but around the same time. So we could have adjusted the order of these in a, in a variety of different ways, but we did it this way. So I hope it's all right. Well, I wanted to put some space between 1 Peter and 2 Peter, so we put the book of Hebrews there, and I hope you enjoyed going through that as much as I enjoyed teaching it. I absolutely adore that book. The majority of scholars will tell you that Peter did not write 2 Peter. They have a lot of reasons for, for saying that, and a lot of the reasons do make sense, although I remain not 100% convinced. But regardless, even those who say that he did not write it will say that it was written by the school of Peter. I'll try to explain. Back in this time, it was not considered lying or plagiarism to put a name on a book that didn't write it, but it was written in their style that preached the same way they did. It's kind of like saying, we are Peter people and we love what Peter did and we were students of his, and we followed him, and these are more things he said. That is also true of some of the letters of Paul, according to most scholars. Again, I'm not about to die on any one of those hills. What I can say is that early on, 2 Peter was accepted among the books that began to be accepted, and there's not been a real fight about it, even all the way up through the three and four hundreds when the canon of the New Testament was being finalized. There were fights about some books like Revelation, but not so much about Second Peter. Some did want it left out. All that to say, we're aware of that, but I'm not going to read this as a second-class book. I think this book has some amazing things in it. It's very short, but very punchy. It, it'll, it'll throw some punches at your head and at the people around you, so you have to brace yourself. It's not quite like James, which is like going to the dentist. You know, you know it's good for you, but you know you're going to hurt somewhere. Peter, Peter ha is on a mission here, Second Peter. Whether it's him or the school of Peter, I don't much care, because the early church recognized the value of the message and believed that the message came from God through human agency, like the other books. So are you ready? All right, we, we have the standard greeting, and it does sound extremely like Peter. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Now, if you skipped over Hebrews, which you're allowed to do, you know, uh, and you just ran right from 1 Peter to 2 Peter. 
you will have already picked up a real big signal that this absolutely is either by Peter or by people who knew Peter really well. Because that phrase, may God give you grace and peace be yours in abundance, that's, that's Peter. That's Petrine, as they would say. You see that in, this, in the greeting in 1 Peter. And I brought up when I went through that book, wouldn't it be great if we just said that to each other? Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Or God bless you with peace and grace and abundance. And then I started getting emails from some of our Safe Harbor viewers and they would sign off with that. And I just thought that was so cool. Then I went to a house church in Nashville, Arkansas, and the people there used that phrase a couple of times. And I thought, it, you know, I don't know that they got it from me. They're Bible students, but the cool thing is people are saying it. It's just, it's better than you know, have a nice day, I think. It gets, gets more to the point. All right, are you ready? His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. I'm going to stop there. What knowledge did they have? What knowledge did the people have in the 60s? Not 1960s. Uh, get the flower power out of your head there. In 60 AD to 70 AD, what knowledge did they have? Well, they had some books that were beginning to circulate, but not many. So we can't say, well, all of Scripture. They knew their, the Hebrew Scripture, and that certainly was settled by this time. And they had that, and they had, again, a few books, uh, some traveling evangelists, and some of the apostles were still there in the 60s. They had not yet died or been killed for their faith. What they knew was that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, and they were to love God and love their neighbor as themselves, and they were to keep themselves unspotted from the world. Peter goes, you know enough now. You know enough. Again, not a demand for a bunch of precision alignment on every doctrine, nor is there a demand for precision worship in certain ways and forms, but rather not so much the do, but the be. You be this. You be the loving person full of grace, the who sacrifices for others. You be the person who believes in Jesus and acts accordingly. That's enough. And it is so hard for us because we always want to pile on more, uh, make it more complicated. But he called us to him this way, not because we're good, because we're not good. He called us by his goodness and he makes us good. We're all in process. It, we're, it takes us a bit of time, doesn't it? To get a bit better here and a bit better there. But he, he's got the patience and the goodness to suffice. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. A big, big, solid, central idea that's going to carry us through Second Peter is that there is danger in the world, there is corruption in the world, and that we must rise above it and be partakers in the divine nature. We need to act like Jesus, sound like Jesus, talk like Jesus, walk like Jesus. We need to change our character, which can only happen through the Holy Spirit's power and through our agreement with God that this, this is what we want to do. We're going, we're going to live for Jesus and we're gonna be different than this world. One of the things that 
I've always thought my life is, and I was taught this by my parents. I, I tried to teach it to my children too, and my children are better people than I am. So they learned that lesson or they learned better ones. I'm not really sure. But if everybody else is running to do something, it's a very clear sign that you shouldn't go do that. Now, I'm not a contrarian by nature. I'm waiting, I'm waiting to hear my, light, my wife guffaw somewhere. I, however, believe that we should be rather contrarian toward this world. I don't need to run and see the movie or the show everybody else is talking about. I don't need to say the words that everybody else now can say on our televisions or uh, internet. Or I don't need to join in a Twitter war. I don't need to do that. I, instead, what I need to do is be different from the vast herd running by, as C.S. Lewis put it, God did not want cattle, he wanted sons and daughters. So let us be partakers in the divine nature and do it, do life differently. And again, it's because we're surrounded by so much darkness. And please remember the rule is, when the world gets darker, our job is to shine brighter. Our job is not to take our candle and go home. Our job is to shine brighter. For this very reason, make every effort, and I love this, this passage we're going to do, make every effort to add to your faith. All right, now here we're doing stair steps. Uh, each one is necessary for the next step. Faith. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? If you do, you are blessed by that confession, just as Jesus blessed Peter and has promised to bless everyone who professes that name. Well then, what is our next step? Goodness. Goodness is a, um, a long-ranging thing. For example, if I write a check to feed people in Ghana or uh, Zambia or uh, you know, Malaysia or Appalachia, that is good. That's a good thing. And if I support somebody who is, which our safe harbor does, that goes into India, for example, or Pakistan, and helps people, lifting them out of poverty, showing them how to farm better, how to get water that's pure, all the while talking to them about Jesus and bringing them into faith, and I write a check to Flint Global, that's good. Kindness is when you feed the person in front of you. And when you help the person in front of you, they are your kind. They are within the reach of your hand, your arm. So they are your kind means it's goodness, but up close. So with faith, goodness. Start thinking long range, being good, to goodness, knowledge. Now that never ends. It just never ends. And I'm aware that some of you really hate reading. And I've actually done study and why. I have found that a lot of people may just be wired that way. <coughs> they can overcome it to some degree, but I'm not gonna judge them. Others, they had reading ruined by teachers, and that can happen. Uh, I, I've seen it happen with teenage boys, for example, that are going through junior high and high school, and they're not allowed to read books that are interesting to them. They have to read short stories that are bizarre and 
have no real point to them and yet somebody calls them a classic and a wonderful thing and now they're supposed to go through and underline that here's a theme and here's a this and it just destroys the story instead of being able just to read stories and enjoy the stories. But other people don't like reading because they have to read so much at work. I find that a lot with lawyers, um, with people who are editors and publishers. You know, they read and read and read and read, and it's hard for them to read just for enjoyment after a while, some of them. I've talked to others that say, no, I take home extra books every night, which, uh, wow, good for them. So how do you get knowledge if you struggle to read and you're tired of reading? You can do it through podcasts, and, and we know that, let's see, last month, you're watching this a month after it's been done. So two months ago, our podcast had 6,000 plus downloads in one month. So you can listen as you walk, as you mow the lawn, as you do whatever you do. Uh, you can also listen on your commute. I listen to books. Uh, I subscribe to Audible. I'm not pushing them. There are other services. And I, I listen to books as I drive. Uh, every so often I'll, I'll bump out and listen to songs on my phone, but normally I'm listening to books or I'm listening to specialized podcasts. Why? I'm 66. Um, I should have, I'm, I, I peaked a long time ago. The pinnacle of my career was a long time ago. And on this long slide down, which I'm really having fun and yelling, we, uh, why do I still feel like I need to know more? Because I don't know some things and some things I know aren't correct. What are those things? I don't know, but I know by now that I'm, I, my, my knowledge is not perfect. So while I'm trying to be good, I'm also trying to get knowledge and to knowledge self-control. Nobody should have to make you get out of bed. Nobody should have to make you read, think, give, do all that. This has to be on you. And we can make laws to keep some of your most aberrant behavior under control so that you're not driving 100 miles an hour in our neighborhood so that you're not attacking women and small children and, and no, no, we can make laws for that. But if you want to really grow and be partakers of the divine nature, you're going to have to discipline yourself. Paul said he beat his own body daily. That was a metaphor, people. He wasn't taking a whip to himself. It just, it just meant that he got up when he didn't want to get up. He went out when he didn't want to go out. He worked when he didn't want to work. He disciplined himself. Don't, if somebody asks to do it for you, that's a real problem. The Bible talks about self-control and self-control is, is super admirable. It really is. We, um, and there's no way to say this without offending some people. And I'm really sorry about that, but it needs to be said. We have people in our neighborhood, we're a very walkable neighborhood, and we have people in our neighborhood who are ill and who walk. Um, they might have had a stroke, and you can tell by the way they're walking, but every day they're out there. We have people in our neighborhood who are obese, who are out there, and you know they feel the eyes of everybody judging them, but they're out there moving losing weight, they're, they're working on it, somehow they're, they're, they're not sitting still. And I don't think anybody shoved them out the door. I think they went out on their own. And I look at each one of these in awe, with huge respect, because look what they're doing. And that's not easy. 
And they decided to do that. They took it on. They, they made the challenge, they accepted whatever challenge was, was laid in their heart and they moved. Self-control. I'm just amazed when I find uh, somebody in their 90s and they still begin their day with reading the Bible or writing cards. People actually used to write down words, put stamps on them and send them to people. It was just amazing. Um, they, I, I'm amazed by these people who are still looking you know, to, be, to be good, to know, and to discipline themselves to have an order in their life to progress, even at that late stage. Perseverance, you keep going. You got to keep going. It's not gonna be easy. Not every email I get is full of, hey, we love you. I get a lot of the other ones too. But you gotta keep going. And whenever you fall down, you gotta get up and you gotta keep going. Godliness, well, what does godliness mean? Well, we used to ask the question, it was a real big deal. What was that, like 30 years ago, 20 years ago? What would Jesus do? And there were WWJD bracelets and the whole thing. And like all fads, even if they're based on something fantastic, they fade away. But that whole concept of what does God want to do in this period of time, in this place, with these people? And that, that's an all the time job. Uh, as I've taught many times, if you go into Walmart and all you need is a screwdriver, a jug of milk, and a prom dress, that's the only store I know of you could get all of that, your job is not to get the screwdriver, the jug of milk, and the prom dress. While you're doing that, your job is to be godly, to be kind to people, to bless people. You don't even have to say the name of Jesus or say you're doing it for Jesus' sake. You just do it. You're just being godly. If somebody takes the parking place you were waiting to get into, you don't lay on your horn and yell, God, and get out and start you know, stomping around. No. No. You move on. And you may not have to, you don't have to be happy about it, but you also don't call on God to smite them. God loves them, so you can decide to love them too. It's a whole attitude in keeping your eyes open, that whole watch and pray thing. And then brotherly kindness, that's that kindness close up. When they meet you close up, you are kind. Uh, I never forget some of my teachers. And some of my teachers, I'll never forget them because they were so warm, kind, open, and personal when you got up close. Others of them, I will never forget because when you got up close, you found that they were arrogant and they looked down on you. Well, that's, what do people see when you get up close? And I hope I generally give a better impression uh, when I get up close of that being open and listening. I'm, and I, I don't always do that well, but I, I think I do it pretty good because I'm working on it, self-discipline, perseverance. It's a job. It's a job that I do to make myself more open and more like God, in other words, available and good in the area to people who are close in. Kindness is there. And after all of that, love. You know, Paul just comes out of the gate in 1 Corinthians 13 and says, love is this. Peter says, you're struggling with love? Let's start the staircase up. So find where you are. And by the way, you're going to be like Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. You're going to be jumping up and down those stairs, back and forth, figuring out where you belong on any particular day, and then keep climbing up. It's like climbing a sand dune. You're going to take a lot more steps than it looks like it requires. But you're going to have to keep going.
if you want to get to the top. Then he says, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Have you ever felt ineffective and unproductive when it came to your faith? Sometimes it's not your fault. Let me just make you sure you understand that. Sometimes it is not your fault. But sometimes it may be because somewhere on the staircase, you're not doing well with the kindness or the self-control or the whatever. It's worth at least considering that without me trying to throw a blanket judgment over people because who am I to do that? It's just nice to do a spiritual and moral gut check every now and then when you're thinking, I'm just not being effective. You know, there have been places where I went to work where I thought that I could be effective and I wasn't. And I just wasn't. Sometimes it was that proverbial, well, we're just a bad fit. But other times, I think that I'd missed one of these steps, that I hadn't worked hard enough in this one or that one. Uh, and again, sometimes I think I did okay, but the other people weren't, you know, just keep on going. But if you're ineffective, if you're not unproductive, uh, if it's time to do a little gut check and just see, and you might come out clean the other end, that's fine. If anyone does not have them, these, you know, the, uh, the goodness, the kindness, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Now that, that sentence is almost a non sequitur until you realize the, the religious tableau into which Peter was speaking. If your sins have been forgiven, you don't want to go back to them. And he's going to talk about that in a bit because going back to them could be very fatal for your soul and certainly fatal for your influence. So don't do that. But if also, if you've been cleansed of your sins, then it's time for you to take on your new role as being a partaker in the divine nature. We don't want to be someone who forgets to be good and forgets to be kind, forgets to learn more, forgets to improve. That's, um, I, I heard a, an anecdote from a fellow who was in a hotel room and uh, he, he was told by the people that checked him in, the great Pablo Casals is in the room next to you. Greatest cellist perhaps that ever lived. And he was just thinking, oh, that's amazing. Cause he knew that uh, he was going to be playing at Carnegie Hall later that night. So he thought I might be able to hear some practice. And he said, all he heard for two days through the walls were scales. Now, if you don't know what scales are, if you don't do music, he wasn't playing a tune. He was just doing the do, re, mi, fa, so, la. He was doing versions of that in different keys. That's it. Something you would think that's rudimentary. That's kind of elementary cello. That's not what you'd think a master would do. Well, later, don't need to do a whole story. He found himself able to talk to Casals and, and he asked him, why are you practicing scales all day? And he said that the great cellist looked aside a little bit, thought and said, I think I'm getting better. In other words, he went back to the elementary because that's what he needed to build on these steps to be good, to be great. But he always was learning to be better. Isn't that amazing? Therefore, my brothers, 
be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I mean, there's a guarantee. Who could, who could turn down that guarantee? It's beautiful, isn't it? It's great. Okay, so let's have a look. Verse 12. So, I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in a tent of this body, because I know I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, and I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. I love that passage. It's just, Second Peter doesn't get its due. This opening chapter is really great. He, um, he says, I know you already know this, but I want to put this down. I want you to be able to remember it when I'm gone. Had a dear friend, way too young, die. And in case you think you know who that friend was, maybe you do, but I've had a lot of young friends die. It's just shocking. Uh, over the years, and this particular one, when he died, one of the things his, his wife actually put out on social media later in praise of her husband was that he left nothing behind that shamed him. There was nothing on his phone. There was nothing in his computer searches. There was, there was no, um, no kid out there, no person. There was, there was no cheating. There was no unpaid taxes. He left nothing to shame them, but that he had left them only with good memories and good stories. I thought that was one of the most beautiful testimonies ever. And I've heard others who say that they found letters written to the family that they didn't know. And, and it was basically, in case I'm dead and you come upon this, that told them how wonderful they were, how meaningful they had been. Another young lady in a congregation uh, got a, a diagnosis of cancer and there was nothing they could really do. She was going to die. And she had a couple of young children. And it just, the, the elders of the church told me about this, that she wrote birthday and Christmas cards to her children for every year, all the way up until I think 18 or 20, uh, somewhere 21 maybe, until they were adults. It, so that every, every year, these little kids would open a card from her mom telling them how important they were to their mom and how proud their mom is. I, I, what a thing to leave behind. That's beautiful beyond description. Peter is saying, that's what I want to leave. I want to leave these instructions so that you've got these. You can use these. When I started playing guitar online, I didn't show my face. I just showed the guitar. I didn't do it for any of you guys, but a whole bunch of people jumped on, subscribed. I did it for my grands because one of these days I won't be there or these hands won't work. And I want them to be able to hear their granda. I'm not a good singer, barely a guitar player, but I wanted them to know a little bit about my music and my ideas and what I liked. Because while it's not that big a deal for them now, it might be in 30 or 40 years. So we leave something behind. Then he assures them that he's, he's putting them on a solid foundation. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when you told, we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory 
from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. Peter was at the transfiguration, and that's where this happened. And he says, I was there. I want you to understand we didn't make this up. I was there. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it as, oh, I just talked about this, a light shining in a dark place until the dawn appears and a morning star rises in your hearts. And Peter lost, and Peter should have been a poet. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. People have tried to make this mean more than it means, uh, saying, for example, um, being a six-day young earth creationist is fine, but you can't use this to say, see, everything written, God wrote it down in this way. That's not what he's saying. He's saying what we wrote down, we wrote down as we were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We didn't plan to be here, but these words came to us as God spoke through us and to us. I mean, Peter, come on. Peter didn't plan this life. Peter is an absolute example of somebody who got carried along by God. What a beautiful way to be carried through life, but to be carried by the Holy Spirit. I don't want to start chapter 2 yet because it's, it is a complete break. It's the same sermon, same letter, but he's going to shift to something very dark now, and I want to wait and not start that until next week. All right. May God bless you. May God give you peace and grace and abundance. Thank you for your love for us, for your emails and texts encouraging us. That's just amazing. It means a lot to us. It really does. You carry us along as we are all carried on by the Spirit of God. Peace.